Amen. Good morning, community of faith. It's good to see you all today. I'm thankful that we even get to connect online. Um, What's up to all the online friends today? I heard a story this week about three dads who were sitting, they were going to be dads, new dads. They were sitting in a hospital waiting room and uh, they were all waiting on their wives to deliver their first children. And um, as they were sitting there anxiously anticipating the excitement of the arrivals, uh, the nurse came out to the first dad and she said, Dad, got some good news. Everything went great, delivery went great, but there was a surprise. Um, you didn't have one baby, but your wife had twins. And he thought, that's crazy. He said, I, what's really crazy about that is that I actually play for the Minnesota Twins, and now I have twins. And so they kind of laughed, celebrated. He went and um, was with his wife and his two new babies. And then the next nurse came out, and the guy was sitting there, and she said, sir, um, exciting news uh, to tell you. Uh, everything went great with delivery, and your wife has had triplets. And he was like, oh, wow. He goes, that's crazy. He goes, the Twins baseball player had twins, and I had triplets, and I worked for 3M. He couldn't believe it. He's like, man, the irony is just crazy. And he celebrated and went to be with his wife and the three new babies. And as the nurse turned around, she noticed a man on the floor having convulsions, like panic, full-blown panic attacks. She goes to check on him, sir, sir, are, are, you, what is, are you okay? What is going on? He said, I, I don't even know what to do. I work for 7Up, and I don't even know what to do right now. <laughs> Parenting is overwhelming. Parenting is difficult. It's probably the most difficult job on the planet. And today I want us in week three of this Smart Home series, we've been looking at different dynamics of the home as we think about relationships and things that impact the home and the homes we live in. I want us to talk about this idea of being a smart parent. I want us to dive in and understand what does it look like to be a smart parent in 2022? And before I really press in on this, a couple of disclaimers. Number one, Maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you're immediately thinking, okay, this doesn't apply to me. I've checked the box. I was at church today, this week. I've done what I need to do. Uh, But you don't have any kids at home right now. Maybe you're still single. Uh, Maybe there's uh, empty nesting, uh, that empty nesting season season for you. Um, But there's no children in your home right now. And so you're thinking, man, this isn't applicable to me. I don't need to, I don't really need to hear this. And I would say, hang on a second, because you do need to hear this, because we all need to hear this. As I know, as a parent with two little boys, it is incredibly valuable to me to know that there are other people around me in the community that I live in, the church that I attend, that have healthy voices, that can be great voices of reason and faith, that can speak into my kids' lives the same way that I would. And so we're kind of all in this together, no matter where we are in our life. And so I want to encourage you in that. And the second thing I want you to hear me say today, before we jump in, is that my goal tonight, or today, is not that I would do some sort of drive-by guilting of every parent in the room. I need you to know that I am not an expert. Uh, Like I said, I've got a 12-year-old and uh, almost 11-year-old in my house, and uh, I am a fellow struggler with you today as a parent. And God has been showing me a lot. He's been teaching me a lot. But I want us to begin to unpack what this would look like for us. So we're going to look at three different kinds of parents. The first two are the unhealthy type, and then we're going to land on the ideal smart parent as we look at a few verses this morning. The first one's the director, the second one is the detached, and the third one is the devoted, and that'll all make more sense here in just a second. But I want us to start in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 4. It says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, automatically, that creates a little bit of tension because you're thinking to yourself, why is Paul only addressing the fathers? Well, number one, 
guys, we're always a little bit slower to pay attention. And you got to wake us up. You got to call us out. Uh, we're a little slow to take responsibility sometimes. We're, we'll quickly dismiss some responsibilities in our home because we are married to the real MVPs, you ladies. And so um, Paul wants to get our attention, but I think he also wants to us to see our responsibility in this. There's something incredible, incredibly valuable about a, a man stepping up and being the father that God has called him to be in the homes. And so it's important that fathers and mothers don't miss what Paul is saying here. He says, don't provoke your children to anger. Now, the Amplified Version goes into more detail on what this means, what it means to provoke your children to anger, and explains it like this. Do not exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial and unreasonable or humiliating and abusive. Now, Paul is explaining this, and I don't want to spend too much time here, but the first type of parent that I think we see around us and that we can fall into the pattern of is the director. And the director is the one who wants to control everything. The director is the one that is obsessed with protecting and promoting our children. These, this is where the helicopter moms come from, who want to hover over and protect their little babies from anything that might cause them any heartache or pain or dysfunction or discouragement. And so they, they hover around them, protecting them, so that they are unable to cope with some of the struggles as they get older, or the lawnmower dads who are working to promote their child to be everything that the dad wants them to be. And if you get in their way, and you try to, to distract or disrupt anything they're trying to do for their children, they will run over you and it is painful. It's destructive. It's the control freaks. You know why people are control freaks? It's because they become overwhelmed with fear. Fear of what will happen if they're not in control. And I don't say that in judgment today. I say that as a confession because I fall into this trap. I am a control freak. I believe that I know better, that my ways are better, that I understand situations better than anyone else. It's arrogant, it's unhealthy. It's me trying to be the director as I parent my child, trying to protect them and build walls up around the little bubble so that they don't get uh, any sort of influence that might be sinful and keep the sin out. So we shop at Mardell and Hobby Lobby and only eat at Chick-fil-A. Gotta have that Christian chicken. Trying to protect them. The problem is, as we're trying to protect them from sin or anything that would be evil, we're still there. So sin's still there because every single one of us is a work in progress. We have our own dysfunction, our own issues that influence our children were over the top as the directors trying to control everything, saying, God, I got this. I don't need you to help me raise my children. And in that, we become overprotective, overthinking, overstepping, overcriticizing, overcompensating, overloading, overexaggerating, overcommitting, ultimately finding ourselves overwhelmed while we overwhelm our children to be everything and do everything and chase after everything we think they need to chase after in order to have the best life possible for them. And what Paul is saying is he's saying that's destructive. That stirs anger. We misinterpret this passage sometimes and we use this in moments or instances where we've made our child angry or we've upset our children or we'll say to our spouse, hey, don't, don't provoke your child to anger. But what Paul is saying is not, he's not specifically talking about instances, he's actually talking about a pattern of this that leads to resentment. Because ultimately what you find is that your children, as they grow older, they begin to feel like we don't trust them to make choices on their own that we don't think they're capable of doing what they need to do. And they find themselves in a place where they actually don't trust us and they're resentful 
they're bitter, they're angry. This is what Paul is describing in this passage, and it continues on in verse four. It says this, nor by showing favoritism or indifference to any of them. Favoritism and indifference. It's interesting, if, if you're showing favoritism to someone, then you have a favorite, and there's someone who's not the favorite that you're disregarding, you're pushing out, you're dismissing, or indifferent. I just don't care. I just don't know that it really matters what I do as a parent to any of them, but bringing them up tenderly with loving kindness in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I think we see the second type of parent here. We see the detached. We see the detached parent, and I think this is what Paul is explaining. And listen, I can find myself here too. And maybe many of you, you're already thinking, man, that's me sometimes. I was reading a couple weeks ago, I came across an article in the Scientific American by a guy named Yuri Broffenbrenner. I didn't put it on the screen because I didn't want you to see how it was spelled just in case I mispronounced it. But he said this, he said the number one challenge to American families is what he calls the rat race. And then he goes on to describe what he means when he says rat race. I believe this is what leads to the detachment, to being detached from our children. He says this, the demands of a job that claim mealtimes, evenings, weekends, as well as days, the trips and the moves necessary to get ahead or simply hold one's own, the increasing time spent commuting, entertaining, going out, meeting socially, and community obligations. I don't know about you, but that sounds like some of my life. Running this crazy race, this rat race, trying to do everything that I think I need to do so that I feel like I'm all that I'm supposed to do. And then he lands on this point and he says this at the end. He says, all of these produce a situation in which a child often spends more time with a passive babysitter than with a participating parents. See, we get stuck in this frenzy. I need more. I need to do more. I need to achieve more. I need to accomplish more. I need to accumulate more in my life. We find ourselves detached from our children. I read a survey this week of a thousand teenagers that were surveyed over a week's time for seven days. There's some really heartbreaking statistics that came from that. It said that 42% of those 1,000 teenagers the entire week heard not one word of praise or encouragement from their parents. So that 50% of them didn't receive a hug or a kiss from their parents. It's detached. 49% never heard the three words, I love you, from their parents. It's the detached parent. It's a symptom of being a detached parent. Listen, parenting is hard. And we live in this world where we're working so hard to do so many things. And we unintentionally find ourselves living out the detached parenting style. What's interesting, I was reading a book this last couple of weeks called Meet Generation Z by James Emery White. And he explains something fascinating. What he's describing is that children of the baby boomers grew up with parents who had a tendency to be overprotective. Lots of rules, lots of uh, restrictions, lots of boundaries, lots of curfews, uh, lots of discipline, um, almost to 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 the extreme. And what has happened is millennials, who are children of the baby boomers, are now raising up Gen Z. And what they're saying, what research is finding, is that Gen Z is now being raised in a time where parents are not overprotecting like their parents did, but they find themselves underprotecting. Look what he says. 
He says, if millennials were raised by overprotective parents, then Gen Z is being raised by underprotective parents. It's as if the one thing you don't want to do as a parent is to be hovering, smothering, babying, coddling, or sheltering. The insinuation is that it's wrong to be overprotective, but it's not wrong to be underprotective. He continues on later in the, in, in, in the book, and he says, consider the effect of an underprotective family environment in a day of sexting and Facebook, bullying in schools and internet porn, cutting and hooking up. And then he finishes with this. When children need to be protected as never before, they are met with a parenting culture that is less protective than at any other time in recent history. There's danger in being detached. There's danger in living out the detached parent lifestyle. I wanna give you some statistics and I just, wanna, I just want you to know, again, this is not a drive-by guilting. I am in this struggle with you. I'm a fellow struggler. There are times when I was in student ministry where I would have parents come to me and they say, I need, some, I need some advice. And I would always tell them, and I've said this to some of you that are sitting in the room right now. I said, hey, listen, my kids are gonna be teenagers one day. My oldest is gonna be 13 this summer. I'm terrified. And I'm gonna come running to some of you who have experience because I'm not gonna know what to do. I'm not the expert. But I want us to look at some real data, some real statistics so we understand what's going on in 2022 when it comes to our children to this next generation that God has given us the responsibility of raising up. 95% of teenagers, 13 to 18, have a smartphone. Now that's probably not surprising to you, but it's significant because it's not what the smartphone can do, it's what it can connect us to. It's a device that immediately we can connect with anyone and anything anywhere around the world. I read a book several years ago that was talking about this and it was talking about how the smartphone is shaping this next generation. And in that there was a study and it said that typical 15 to 23 year olds, so teenagers, young adults, spend 2,767 hours per year using screen media. So engaging with something on their smart device, on an iPad, on a computer, that equals 115 days every year, consecutive days. If you were to add that up, that's 32% of their time. In another study, I read that today, teenagers, people in this age group, average less than seven hours of sleep per night. So what this tells me is that this next generation is spending 32% on a device and 32% of their time on a device and 29% of their time sleeping re-energizing, resting. This is influencing an entire generation. And all of this research is beginning to link an increase, a significant increase in depression with social media. What's happening is students and children are pulling away from physical gatherings and being in close proximity with others to laugh and to hang out and they're finding themselves in isolation. It's de decreasing the social interaction, which is increasing loneliness. Anxiety is at an all-time high. 
childhoods look incredibly different today than they did even just a few years ago. It's changing so fast. Here's what's fascinating about Gen Z. They are saying that there won't be another label for any generation to come after Gen Z because things are changing so fast. It doesn't make sense to give something a label that's just gonna change too frequently. So they're saying this may be the last time we ever call a generation by something specific. It's changing quickly. They stay inside more. They're losing their creativity because they're constantly engaged with a device. They're being exposed to inappropriate media content. When I was a student pastor, I used to, every year, I would save the date for the MTV Video Music Awards. And you're like, wow, Wes, I can't believe you watched the Video Music Awards, and you're judging me right now, but some of you admitted just a couple of weeks ago that you watched Yellowstone, so get off my back and I'll stay off yours. But here's why I did that. I'm, I'm, I'm being playful in that, but here's why I used to watch the Video Music Awards because it gave me a glimpse into what teenagers that year were listening to, what they were talking about, what they were watching, the culture that, that, that was being shaped by media, shaped by pop culture. When was the last time, I used to encourage parents to do this all the time, I would, I would to, to teenagers' parents, and I would say, hey, just, just go look at the top billboard songs. This week, I looked at the top songs on Spotify in the United States this week that were being listened to by people. And what I know is, is that I don't ever go listen to those songs. And I don't know many adults who go listen to the top pop songs of uh, the, the, the week. But I know who does, and it's young people. It's teenagers. It's children. As you know, out of the top 10 songs on Spotify's top 10 list this week, seven of them were labeled as explicit in content. Now, what's even more fascinating is if you take out two of the top 10, which are songs from the Encanto Disney soundtrack, there's only one other song that's not explicit on the list. I've asked my son yesterday about some of those songs and he recognized them. 12 years old, it's influencing, it's shaping a culture. I read this week, and you can find lots of studies on this, but 70% of 18 to 34-year-olds engage in watching some kind of sexual content on a device every single day. That doesn't start when they turn 18. They're exposed to it somewhere, somehow. Did you know that the average age that a child is exposed to some sort of inappropriate sexual media is 11 years old? Now, I don't say that to make anyone feel guilty or ashamed of what you have or haven't done. What I want us to understand is that there are things happening and we need to be talking about those things. And if you're not already talking to your child about some of these things, then you may be falling behind. Today is the day that you begin to step back in, to reattach in some areas that maybe we've been dismissive and passive on, been a little bit lethargic about understanding some of the things happening in this culture around us. Because what's happening is children are listening, they're watching, they're hearing, and they're being shaped by a culture. And what they're beginning to understand and believe is that what they hear and what they see and what they watch is normal. And they're normalizing destructive behaviors. In the book I mentioned a minute ago, James Emery White lists some house rules 
And I wanna go through these house rules really quick. And so you're not gonna have time to write these down. If you wanna capture all 10 of these, I would just suggest you take your phone out and just take a picture of the screen every time it changes. But let me walk through these because I think some of these might be helpful. And I'm gonna talk about this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you feel okay when we get to the end, okay? So again, everybody take a deep breath. Some of you are with me. All right, good, here we go. First one, limit their phone minutes, text and online hours. Don't let their phones take over their lives. Number two, don't ever let them see a movie you haven't reviewed on the front end, regardless of its rating. Number three, don't let them sleep with their cell phones under their pillows or by their beds. Phones should be turned off at bedtime. Take them downstairs, take them out of their rooms, go put them in a place that you can kind of supervise and, and watch over so they're not lured to engage in something that is not healthy in, in the middle of the night. Number four, have times of the day when they turn their phones off and times when texting isn't allowed, such as family vacations or family outings. Number five, don't allow cell phones at the dinner table. What's the dinner table? Who even knows anymore, right? Tell your kids not to share their passwords with their friends, not even their best friends. Don't trust anybody with their passwords. Number seven, keep all computer use in a public area. Listen, I'm just telling you, because I've had conversations with countless teenagers, boys and girls. Do not put a device or a computer in their bedroom. You are setting them up to be held captive by things that you don't want them to be held captive of. I'm, I'm, I'm telling that from experience. I'm telling that from, because of conversations. You and I would never consider putting a venomous snake in the bedroom of one of our children. But I think that's what we do we place a device and they're trusting that they're strong enough, that they're accountable enough to themselves. They're not, we're not. Continue on, sorry, I had to press in there. Don't allow TVs in the room, same thing. Don't let them be on social media unless they friend you. Now listen, I'm, I'm, as I'm saying some of these things, I'm looking at some of you teenagers and you're like, Wes, what are you doing to me right now? You are ruining my life. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I love you. Now, number 10, don't, just kidding. So we, who did that? Somebody hacked into my TV. One of you teenagers are like, oh, I'll show Wes. Don't let them join any social media prior to the stated age. Now listen, word of caution. Some of you are gonna have this idea that as soon as you get home, you're gonna put all of these into place. And I'm just telling you, if you do that, there might be an atomic bomb that goes off in your house this afternoon. So here's what I would encourage you to do. Because once you've kind of let this go, it's really hard to pull it back. And the last thing I want you to do is become more detached because you've overreacted. So instead of just pulling all of these out and causing all of this crazy turn of direction, have some conversation, have some dialogue. Let your children help shape some of the boundaries, draw some of the lines to protect themselves and to protect your home. This is important. And listen, I understand the peer pressure. I hear it from my kids like, dad, come on. Like everybody else has an Instagram account. Why can't I not have an Instagram account? And I'm like, son, you just gotta trust me. You gotta believe me. It's not what's best for you right now in your life. Listen, the conversations are hard. Parenting is hard, but it's much easier to build and raise a boy than it is to repair a man. Same is true for girls. It, it is so much easier to raise up a little girl 
and to step in and begin to repair an adult woman. We have a responsibility and we can't fulfill that responsibility when we're living detached from what's going on in the world of our students. Now I've given you a lot of, okay, Wes, this is uh, this isn't my favorite thing to hear, but I wanna show you what it says in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, where Moses is speaking and uh, communicating some truth to the people of Israel. And in this communication, what he's saying ultimately, this is a part of a speech that Moses is giving to the Israelites right before they go into the promised land. And what he is saying to them is he's saying, listen, I need you to understand some of this wisdom. I need you to learn some things so that you don't repeat the mistakes of your parents before you. And this is what he says. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. He says, you should love the Lord your God. Notice he doesn't say you need to follow the 10 commandments. What he says is, hey, you want a plan, you want a, a, a strategy to set your home, to set your future in the right direction. He says, love the Lord your God. Why does he say that? Because you and I don't do what we do based on what's right and wrong. You and I make decisions to do what we do in life based on what we love. If you go to a restaurant this afternoon and you sit down and look at the menu and you see that grilled chicken breast with vegetables and brown rice, and then right next to it, you're gonna see that chicken fried steak with a loaded baked potato, or maybe you go mashed potatoes and a roll, and you're like, hey, throw an extra roll on there and add some extra butter. I mean, you're looking at that, you're like, I'm going with the chicken fried steak because that just sounds better because you love a chicken fried steak and nobody wants the chicken breast. We know what's better, we know what's right, but we follow what we desire, what we love. Moses understood this. If you and I are gonna step in to steer our kids in the right direction, We've got to step into a devotion, not to our kids, but to our heavenly father, trusting him, letting him stir our affections for him even more than we already have. This is essential to being a smart parent. You're like, okay, Wes, that's great, but help me, uh, help me understand how I love the Lord more. Well, let me, let me just say right now, you're already winning because you're here today. You're watching online. You're stepping into something that I pray every single week, along with so many others on staff and in this church, we're praying that we would experience God when we come together in this place. And as we experience God, he begins to stir our affections for him. He's showing us more about himself. He's teaching us more of his ways for our future. This is one of the ways that we stir our affection for him. And everybody's a little bit different. Maybe for some, it's not just this, but it's that quietness in the morning. I love the mornings. I love the early mornings where it's still dark outside. My kids, my wife are all still asleep. It's just quiet. There's no distraction. I love just being able to journal and pray and open up my Bible and be encouraged and continue to understand more about my heavenly father. Maybe it's listening to music while you get ready in the mornings, but specifically music that is worship music that is worshiping your heavenly father. And it, it does something to us. It changes our perspectives. It encourages us as we step into our day. It stirs the affections for our heavenly father, for the Lord. Maybe it's journaling, maybe it's podcast. Whatever it is for you, it might be different for somebody else. Step into that, participate in that. Not out of obligation, but because it brings life for you. It stirs something new, something freeing in your life. And then as you do that, look what Moses says. 
and you shall repeat them diligently to your children. Repeat what? Like say, say what? The things that you're experiencing, the things that you're learning as you continue to pursue the Lord your God, you continue to love the Lord your God, your affections are being stirred up by who he is. You can't help but begin to talk about it. He's saying specifically to your children, speak these things into your children. Now, my reaction to this when I first read it, and maybe it's the same as your reaction, is like, okay, God, you're, you're, you're already saying I need to spend more time with you so that my affection for you can continue to increase. And now you want me to spend more time speaking intentional things in the life of my kids. I mean, God, listen, I got baseball practices this week. I've got lacrosse practices this week. I've got a job. I've got a spouse. I've got date night on Tuesday night. We've got games this weekend. There's that tournament that's coming up. This is just a busy season. Like we are doing good just to keep our kids clean and fed. And now you want me to spend extra time teaching them, showing them who you are to me? And it's almost like God knew that we were busy. Like he knew that we might have that response. Because look what it says as it continues on. You shall repeat these things diligently to your children and speak of them when you sit in your house, walk on the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. You know what God's saying right here? through Moses to the Israelites, but also to us today through his Holy Spirit, he's saying to you, hey, listen, I know you're busy, but you have the time. Because how many of you this week sat down at your house somewhere? Okay, I'm gonna ask another question. I'm gonna hope this one goes a little bit better. How many of you traveled somewhere this week? Raise your hand. Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you're sleeping because you're here, so you traveled to get here because I don't think anybody spent the night here. But do you see this? He's saying, when you sit down, have conversation, put the phone away, put the newspaper away, put the magazine away and have a conversation. Talk about the things that God is doing and teaching in your life. As you're traveling, as you're going somewhere, speak about these things. I was talking to my son about this before I even realized, and, and really this kind of came into focus for me for today. And I was, we were talking last week about how much time we spend in the car, driving places. I mean, the average trip is 20, 25 minutes, no matter where we're going, whether it's a baseball practice or somewhere, something for the school. And I added up the time just from last week with just one of my kids. And it was over two and a half hours in seven days. I have plenty of time to talk to them diligently about the things that God is doing in my life that he has shown me in my life. Put down the phones, turn down the music, spend that quality time with them. Learn what makes them come alive, learn what makes them want to communicate. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, man, I, well, listen, Wes, I, I don't think you understand. I, I don't feel that connection with my kids. It feels impossible to have a conversation with my kids. I'm not sure that they even want to connect with me. Listen, just start, just start by listening. And instead of asking, hey, how was your day? And getting the same answer every single day, good. How was your day? Good. What made it good? I don't know. Like, hey, can you give me a little more? So, so maybe this is a question you asked this week. Hey, son, um, talk to me about the high and the low of your day today. Give me some feedback on that. And then as they begin to unpack that for you, be active in your listening. Participate in it. Listen to hear, to understand. Repeat some of the things you're hearing back to them. So what you're saying is, is that your day was okay, but you really are kind of stressed out about that math class and that math teacher that you got some, some uh, beef with. And so, and, but what, what that does is they begin to think, oh, my parent does care. 
My parent does want to know what's going on in my life. I'm reading a book right now, a leadership book, and one of the things he talks about, he says, always communicate, and as you're speaking, always speak like you're right, but when it's time to listen, listen like you're completely wrong. I think there's something valuable there for us as parents even, because we always want to be right, and we want our kids to know that we're right. What it looks like to listen like maybe they're right. So when you sit down, when you drive, when you walk, wherever you're going, when you lie down and when you wake up, you're teaching, you're communicating these things diligently to them. And as you seek the Lord, as you love the Lord, you're going to be experiencing things. You're going to be able to speak about these things. Now listen, I know that we don't live in the day of Little House on the Prairie and everything is just really laid back and easy. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, some of you, you're, you're, you're running the race and there's a lot going on. It's just that season in your life as a parent, as a family. There are times at my house where it's, it's a disaster in the mornings. I would say it might even be a majority of times in the mornings. I'm responsible for making sure my kids get to school. And you're like, wow, that's terrifying, Wes. Can't believe your wife would allow you to do that. I still don't believe it. I mean, there are times where there is yelling. I mean, it, I'm doing my best to like make sure they eat a Pop-Tart on the way out the door. There's a meltdown, there's a bad hair day, there's a dad, I can't find my shoes because it's my fault, right? I mean, you've, you've been there. I get them finally both out the door to the bus and I can hear Diddy in my head. Can't nobody take my pride. Can't nobody hold me down. And I'm just like, yeah, that's right. I won this day, they are at the school. But then there's days where it, it just, it's comfortable. There's peace, there's conversation. Just last week, one of my kids was going through just some big things for what a 10-year-old experiences at school. And the night before, my wife had had a long conversation with him. She's an incredible listener and just processed some things in a healthy way with him. And then the next morning, he was still thinking about it. So I was sitting there with him. I was like, hey, buddy, how are you feeling about the day and how you're going to respond to some of the things we, that you and mom talked about? He's like, uh, I'm good. And he goes, I'm a little nervous, though. And I was like, that's, that's, that's fair. I said, hey, let's pray about it. You want me to pray about it? And he goes, yeah, yeah, let's pray about it. So we prayed about it. I prayed about it because I want my kid to know that prayer is always a go-to. But I also want him to understand that his heavenly father cares about him just as much as he cares about his daddy. And that God wants breakthrough. God wants miracles in his life, just like he does in my life. And because I've experienced some of that in my own life in the similar situations where I'm overwhelmed and anxious and stressed out, not sure what to do or how things are gonna go, I call on my heavenly father. And there have been times in my life where there's been breakthrough. There have been miracles that have taken place. And I want that for my kid. And so it's gonna be hit or miss. Some days are gonna go great and other days aren't gonna go that great. But this is what Moses is, is communicating to. This is what God is calling us into today. And in some of those situations, there are going to be times where I think it's incredibly important to talk about some of your missteps, some of your mistakes. I, I really believe this. I think some of the greatest lessons our kids are gonna learn from us is gonna be in the way that we handle our mistakes rather than highlighting our successes because they wanna see that we're real. And so often I, I have this tendency to just wanna be right, but parents who are real are so much healthier and stronger and better shaping of our children than those that are trying to be right all the time. And I think there's this tension that we feel, we wanna be right because we feel the weight and the excessive burden 
of trying to make sure that our kid not only has a good life, but that they can understand who Jesus is. And we want them to know Jesus. We want them to find Jesus. We want them to be rescued by Jesus. And so we make sure that our life looks good and that it looks good to them. Listen, Jesus isn't calling you to be the perfect parent. He's calling you to be a real parent who continues to make progress in your relationship with him. And as you do that, he's going to begin shaping things in you that are going to shape the life of your child. I think we fall into a dangerous trap when we fall into that game. We're trying to force our faith in Jesus on our kids. You can't do that. You cannot open the eyes of your child to who Jesus is. That's God's responsibility. He's not calling you to do that. He's just saying, hey, you chase after me. You trust me. You love me. You allow me to call the shots in your life. Sure, take your kid to the spaces and the places where I'm learned about, where I'm experienced. And as you do that, just trust me. Just trust me as your heavenly father that I care just as much, if not more than you do for your little ones. So you just keep looking to me. And as you look to me, you point your children to me. They'll, they'll, they'll see. That's his responsibility. Don't feel that weight. Don't feel that burden. Just point them to Jesus. Oftentimes when I teach, I, I land a message with a statement that I want you to walk away with that's easy to remember or something that's kind of catchy. But today I just want to point you to a specific passage where Paul, I think, puts all of this into one verse. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says this, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. I mean, just, just, just think about yourself. What would this look like to say this to your children, to live this with your children? Be imitators of me, but don't, don't get stuck on me. Look beyond me because the reason I am who I am is because I'm following the ultimate one. I'm following the perfect father. I'm trusting the perfect father. So, so yeah, watch what I do but understand why I do what I do. Be an imitator of me just as I am with Christ. This is our goal. This is the remedy to the director who thinks they have to control everything. This is the, the remedy to the detached because as you begin to understand the love of your heavenly father, you become consumed with wanting your children to experience the love of your heavenly father. And it cures both of those and it leads you to a place of devotion to Jesus which is setting your children up for the best opportunity to experience not just a good life, but a relationship with their heavenly father like you have. I wanna land here because I think, and I didn't say this in the first service, but I wanted to. But I think on a message like this, it maybe has kind of felt like, man, Wes, you're, this is a lot and I feel like a failure because I'm not sure I'm doing any of these things right. Listen, can I just tell you, most of the things I'm talking about today, like I, I'm, not, I'm not doing well. I'm trying, just like so many of you are trying. But I don't want you to leave here feeling like a failure or like you failed. Maybe you're sitting here like, man, I, I've, I've already failed. It's too late. Listen, nothing is too late in Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, I hear you saying nothing's too late, Wes, but he's already 28 or she's already 35, it's, it's too late. Listen, you're not gonna get on the phone this afternoon and say, hey son, listen, um, we're gonna have a prayer meeting at the house on Tuesday at six o'clock and I need you to be there. That's not, the, that's not the call you need to make. The call might be, hey, hey son, I was at church this weekend and one of the pastors there was talking about parenting and I just was overwhelmed with thoughts of, man, I wish I had 
done a little bit better when you were younger. And I just want to say I'm sorry. That's it. Just say I'm sorry and then say, listen, I love you. Even though maybe you haven't felt that all the time, I love you and I'm incredibly proud of you. Ask for forgiveness where you need to ask for forgiveness. But then after that, it's not your burden to carry anymore. So let go of it. Trust God's grace for you and for your kid. It's not like God looks at us because we failed it as a parent sometimes and says, man, I really, I really don't understand this. Like, what is the matter with that guy? It's not like he looks at us and he thinks, you know, I really can't believe I did the whole resurrection thing. I mean, this guy is making me regret that whole thing I did with Jesus. He doesn't look at us like that. When he looks at you, he sees perfection because he sees Jesus in you when you trust him. That's the beauty of a relationship with Jesus. That's the beauty of trusting your life with Jesus. Listen, today is a new day. God doesn't have any regrets with you. As a child of his, he loves you. His love is strong for you. And listen, moms, you're gonna crush it this week. Dads, you're gonna, you're gonna, do, you're gonna be able to do this. You're gonna be able to step into this, spending some time when you sit down, when you're driving, when you're putting them to bed and when you're waking up. We can do this. We have everything we need. You have a heavenly father who's in it with you. He's close. He's attached. He's in control. You know, the miracle of the resurrection was preceded by the sacrifice of the cross. Raising kids is hard, it's difficult, it's challenging, it's a struggle, but sacrifice is involved. Sacrifice for our kids. And Jesus, when he went to the cross, he didn't go there by accident, he went there on purpose for you and for me. When he went to the cross, he took our burdens, just like you and I, just like us as a community to carry the burdens for our kids as we step in to sacrifice. It's in that sacrifice and in that burden sharing that the celebration of the resurrection was made possible and a miracle happened. And I say that today because as Jesus followers, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're stepping into a life of sacrifice specifically for your kids because sacrifice is necessary for a miracle. And I believe that this week, as we take one step of sacrifice with our kids, maybe with our spouse, trusting our heavenly father because he's stirring the affections of our heart as we pursue him, there's gonna be miracles that happen in your home. There's gonna be hope that's restored. There's gonna be love that's gonna be experienced between you and your children that maybe hasn't been experienced in years. There's gonna be breakthrough. There's gonna be peace. And there hasn't been peace in years. There's gonna be peace in your home. How? Sacrifice. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to land and just spend the next couple minutes remembering Jesus through communion. So if you wanna take out your communion cup, why do we remember communion in a message like this where we're talking about loving our children and raising them up? Because when we talk about resurrection stories, when we talk about miracles being possible, all of it's possible because of the miracle of the resurrection. 
The celebration of the resurrection would be impossible without the devastation of the cross. And the night before Jesus went to the cross, he looked at his disciples and he said, this is the bread, this is my body. And when you take it and you eat it, do it in remembrance of me, remembering that it was my body that was broken for you so that you can have a relationship with your heavenly father. And he says, when you take the cup, remember that it's my blood. It represents my blood. This was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. When you drink it, remember me. I don't know about you, but when I reflect and I remember on the sacrifice of Jesus, it gives me hope for my kids. Because it reminds me that God cares about me. And if he cares about me, he cares about the things I care about. He cares about my kids. He cares about that relationship. And so let's remember Jesus by taking the bread and remembering his body that's broken for us. And then let's take the cup remembering that it was his blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could have life with him, so that we could have a second chance, so that we could have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. I'm gonna ask that everyone in the room, not just parents, but that we all stand. And the reason I do this is I, I think there's something about movement. You heard me say a couple weeks ago, movement was necessary for the miracle. And I want us to commit together as a church to this. And we're not seeking perfection, we're seeking progress. And we're gonna do this together. So we're gonna stand together and we're gonna be in it together because that's what the church is all about. So let's pray for this. Let's pray for our children. Let's pray for our families as we step into a new week. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the opportunity to be here today. God, right now, I think the first thing I ask that you would do is that you would just remind each one of us of your incredible grace and mercy for us, that you're not disappointed in us. You're not mad at us because we made a mess of some of the things in our lives or we've failed in some ways in our lives. You're not even thinking about any of that. You're just thinking about how great your love is for us, how strong your love is for us, how much you deeply are concerned about what's going on in our lives. I pray that you would overwhelm us with that right now. And I pray that as we experience that, as we understand it, God, I pray that that would stir something in us to just trust you, trusting your goodness, God, I pray specifically for someone that's here or listening online that right now that they've been on the fence. God, would you just draw them to yourself? Would you give them full confidence in who you are to trust you? And then God, as we respond to that, God, I pray for breakthrough in our homes today, this week. God, I'm overwhelmed at the world we live in. I'm overwhelmed at what's going on with Our kiddos, God, it's terrifying. And when I think about my responsibility, I'm even more terrified because I'm not adequate. I'm not capable. And we all feel that way, but we know that you've put us in this time and history with the children that you have placed us in influence over on purpose. And so we trust you and we're believing. We know that you love our kids even more than we do. So God, open their eyes at a young age to who you are, would they trust you? God, I pray that what we've heard today, what we've listened to today would not stay here, but it would 
do something in us that does something even greater in our children. That's what we ask for. That's what we're begging you for. We're trusting you for. And we're not begging because it's impossible. We're begging because we have hope that you can accomplish it and you're already accomplishing it now. So we say thank you in advance. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, two quick things. You heard Laura talk earlier about the marriage workshop. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because there's not a better gift that you can provide to your children than a healthier marriage. So no matter where you are in marriage, happy, unhappy, ugly, I wanna encourage you to step into this because I think it's gonna be life-changing for you and for your entire home. So I've made it easy. You can text COF marriage to 97,000 and register for that right now as you're walking to your car or going to pick up your kids. And then if you need prayer today, our volunteers, our staff will be down here. I know that a day like today maybe stirs up some different things. You want us to pray for your family, your kids, whatever that is, we'll be down here to pray with you. We love you. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for joining us online. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend.